If you or someone you know is not a follower of Jesus, have you ever wondered what would bring you to Jesus? What would bring them to Jesus? Would it be curiosity? Would it be a matter of seeking a word of hope? Or Jesus' power to heal? Would it be his compassionate heart that would draw you? Or his moral teaching that provides guidance? Would it be his vision of the future? His, his ability to make God accessible? In this passage, Luke tells us that two things brought people to Jesus at this point in his ministry. One was his message about God's kingdom, and the second was his healing of people's illnesses. As news about him spread, the crowds grew larger. In this passage, Luke tells us that three people in particular came to Jesus. A man with a skin disease, a man beloved by friends who brought him um, because he was bound by his paralysis, and finally, religious leaders who were intrigued by Jesus' vision of God's kingdom. The story of the man with disease, the skin disease thought to be leprosy, is dramatic in its telling. The dialogue is personal and poignant, and the action powerful. Given his condition, he would have probably cowered away from people, probably um, would, have, would have hid behind corners and stayed away from public intersections. But upon hearing Jesus is in town, he comes out into the open. His heart, a mixture of hope, fear, and faith. He comes toward Jesus, falls on his face, and begs, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. Before, well, do you think the man even heard what Jesus said? Or was he too stunned by what Jesus did? Before Jesus' words reach him, his, Jesus' outstretched hand had touched him. Everything about this man's life was a matter of separation. He was separated from his family. He was separated from belonging to the community. He was separated from practicing his faith. He had become isolated in every way. Nobody had touched him in years. The disease had been eating away, from, of, eating away at him for a long time, as well as the stigma that went with it. But Jesus changed all of that when he touched him. Like his skin, his life was made new again. Can you imagine the feeling?
Jesus then tells the man he's got to show himself to a priest. In those days, the local priests would have served as, as administrators of the law. And for someone, there was procedure when someone was cured of a disease. Not only was the procedure one of, of um, just verification and validation that some, someone had been healed, but it was also like a certificate that allowed him back into community. It was his certificate of acceptance and belonging again. And Jesus wants that for this man. So go, show yourself to the priest, as it says in Leviticus. And become a full, accepted member of your family, of your community, of God. From what experience of isolation or separation do we suffer? We learn out of self-protection and self-preservation to keep our distance from certain people, to separate ourselves from situations that might bring us harm or might be a repeat of old tapes we've heard long ago that keep reminding us that we're not healed, we're not accepted, we're not welcome. It could be family, could be friends, it might even be God. And what would happen if you had an invitation for Jesus to help? What kind of risk would it mean for us to accept it? To move back into a place of vulnerability, of openness? Might it mean additional hurt and possible rejection yet again? But if whatever it is eats away at us enough, might it be worth it? Touching an unclean person was forbidden. Not only was it a risk of the contagion of contracting the disease and possibly spreading it to others, but it was also considered ceremonially unclean. No longer did you have religious standing in the community. But the touch of Jesus worked the other way around. Rather than contract the man's disease, Jesus infected him with healing power and restoration. On another occasion, friends of a man who was bound by paralysis brought him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get close because of the crowd, they climbed up onto the roof. And as this particular text or translation has it, they removed tiles whether it was straw or mud or whatever it might have been, but they created a hole, an opening in the roof and lowered the man down, cotton all, down in front of Jesus. The reason they did this is because they looked to Jesus in faith. They looked to Jesus to heal him. And Jesus, in turn, looked to them and saw their faith. It's one of the few times Jesus looked up and saw humans. 
with faith. The irony of this moment should not be missed. This group had difficulty getting to Jesus, whose message was all about God being present and accessible in his person. And they couldn't get to him. Jesus made the promise of God's presence more real, more possible than anyone ever thought before. No wonder people were drawn to him. Now Jesus took an unusual route to heal this man. First he says, your sins are forgiven. And you sort of want to say, well that's fine, but that's not why I'm here. Luke tells us Pharisees and legal experts were present. They had come to see Jesus and hear him teach about God's kingdom. They wanted to measure his version, his vision of God's kingdom against their own. So oftentimes we immediately assume the Pharisees have ill intent, and it's quite possible they thought Jesus was indeed a representative of God and they could learn something from him. They might not have been out to get him at this moment. Expectations related to God's coming kingdom were, um, were heightened during the first century. It was a time of, of, um, of great anticipation that God was going to do something in people's lifetime. In addition to that expectation, the, they were as varied as they were, um, as they were intense. Zealots, for example, thought that they could help jumpstart the arrival of God's kingdom through violent means, if necessary, to start the revolution and have God carry it out. Others, like the ASEAN community, many think were part of Qumran thought that the temple had become compromised and corrupt, secular, we would say. And so they sought to form an alternative community where through aesthetic practices and teachings, they could, they could zero in on what it means to be God's people and prepare for His coming. And the Pharisees and legal experts believed the coming of God was directly related to the people of God being able to keep the law. And by fulfilling it, they believed they could help create the right conditions for God to act and finally bring about Israel's redemption, their, Israel's liberation from occupation of a foreign power. To fulfill God's promise that finally Israel would in all of its glory, would then draw others to faith in God. But their concerns and suspicions about Jesus are confirmed when they hear him say, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
this is unacceptable. This is blasphemy. This is an offense. God's provision of forgiveness they knew quite well was through the sacrificial system at the temple and all the cleansing rituals that are outlined in the law. But Jesus' vision of the kingdom was entirely different and diametrically opposed to what they were saying. And so to demonstrate he does indeed represent God, he says, well, let me ask you, which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So that you'll know the Son of Man, which is a title, a messianic title, that, and everyone knew that the Messiah would be God's agent through whom he would establish God's kingdom on earth, so that you will know the Son of Man, let this be a sign for you, has authority here on earth. I say to you, rise, pick up your cot, go home. And that's what happened. Now, I want you to use your imaginations when you're reading the Gospels. Imagine you're one of those friends still up on the roof. And you just see your friend get up and walk. It's a wonder the whole roof didn't come down. If I were one of those friends, I would be jumping up and down. And then imagine all the debris falling from the roof on all the people. And then you rush to get down so that you can greet your friend. Oh my goodness. Imagine the greeting of those they went home to who said, oh, don't bother. I don't want to see you crushed yet again with hope and expectations unmet. And then they see him walk. If we're honest, many of us have something that inhibits our coming to Jesus. It may be doubt. It may be some objection we have to the way Jesus is presented by others and by the church. It may be some kind of disappointment, a personal disappointment we have with God. And so we keep our distance. Our hearts are bound rather than being open to such an encounter. But then I ask you, Are there people in your life who love you so much that they bring you to Jesus on a regular basis? They pray for you whether you ask them to or not. They come into a place like this to worship God and they can't be in the presence of God without bringing you there as well. They name you under their breath, or they call out in prayer, Lord, have mercy. 
I think people are being brought to Jesus all the time without even knowing it. The response of the people was that they were filled with awe and wonder and they glorified God. And they said, we've seen unimaginable things today. That word unimaginable in the Greek is the word from which we get paradox. Something that's unexpected, that can't be explained. That still has our attention and our heart and our imagination. Jesus was constantly surprising people with his words and his actions. Because he presented God in a way that no one thought imaginable or possible. That God was with you. That God is for you. What would keep you from coming to him?